You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that inspires thoughtful people like you to live in the moment, be mindful in a realistic, achievable way. My name is Mark Reed. I've been a college professor and a lawyer. Now I make handmade paper in Japan. Twice a week, I bring my research and thoughts or sit down with coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs to talk about their process. What lessons do they learn along the way and how you can make an impact in your world? Hey, here we are. My guest today is Radical Rhymes. Now, we'll get to that name in a moment, but he is an artist, a poet, and a writer. Lots of people may make claims to titles such as those because they paint uh, on the side or write poetry in a scrapbook. Maybe good poetry. I'm not knocking it, but but my guest today genuinely makes his living off of all three. He's an artist and a, a professional creator in the truest sense. He's written academic books. Uh, he currently writes for a fascinating social commentary website called Ringside Report. He has a blog site as well where you can read additional commentary and poetry. He's been uh, commissioned to write poetry in the past. However, it is his paintings that seem to draw the greatest attention, and for good reason. They're phenomenal. What's remarkable is how prolific he is. You can go to his website or to his shop on Etsy, or even just follow his Twitter account, and you'll see what I mean. He, he turns it out, and it's all amazing. The colors, the brushstrokes, all of it, and the diversity. Everything from wild animals to fictional characters and movies to portraits of famous people like Jim Morrison, uh, Abraham Lincoln. I, I get the sense that he's an artist that cannot stop. What's even more fascinating is uh, canvas is hardly the only surface he uses. He paints on wood, on tote bags, on cardboard even, something he calls scrap art. To me, it is far too self-deprecating to describe it that way. There's nothing scrap or fringe or fragmented about it. These are solid, valuable pieces of artwork. He has a Twitter following of over 75,000. I've been watching, and he's a bit of a celebrity there. Yet he values and guards his anonymity, which is also fascinating, and we'll talk about that. Thus, he goes by the moniker Radical Rhymes. That's the name of his website. That's his name on Twitter. It's his brand. It's his identity. Radical Rhymes is who he is. So, Rad, I know some people call you Rad. Uh, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And what a very kind introduction. I'm not sure I can live up to that, but um, <laughs> thanks. It's, it's well-deserved, trust me. <laughs> and uh, Well, let's, uh, let's begin in the beginning. Uh, you're obviously from England, from your accent. I mean, I, I have an accent too, which gives me away, but uh, tell us what part of England, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a very small town called Saltash in Cornwall, uh, which is quite important to me, actually. I mean, Cornwall is a magical place for those people that haven't been there or they've never heard of it. You know, it's, it's full of legend and myth and you know, it's got a place called Tintagel where King Arthur was supposed to have uh, supposed to have made his home, although it's very much disputed. And actually, now I live in Wales, a lot of Welsh people say, "No, he was here." So, <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, yeah, no, Cornwall—that's where I originate from. Did you ever? Did you ever study formally? Did you go to an art school or anything like that? Mm, no, I mean it's a bit of a sore point, really, because I, I, as a kid, I mean, I, I, I suffer from attention deficit—not like the medical term, but I, I was. 
very much loved but neglected, I think, as a child. I mean, I had a sister with chronic rheumatoid arthritis, so a lot of the attention was away from me. And I had quite a traumatic experience when I was a child, um, which lasted over a, quite a few years. Um, and it's, it's taken me a time to understand its impact on me, really. Uh, so, no, I didn't study formally at all. Didn't well, have you, <laughs> you might have come out better for it. I mean, you know, uh, you probably know Jimi Hendrix was self-taught on the guitar and he's considered one of the greatest guitarists ever. So, uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. know, may, maybe I, I kind of, sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to say maybe your art, uh, would have been, you know, confined or restricted to some sort of conformity, uh, if you had gone to school and maybe you, you have it, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you answer that question, but you know, do you think that because you didn't formally study that you actually have a greater freedom for creativity and expression? I think so. I think it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? I mean, I kind of think that I have some regrets because I'm certain there are techniques and things I could have learned that I didn't learn. Um, so, you know, I, but on the other hand, it's a bit like being a pioneer for yourself, isn't it? You know, you, <laughs> you teach yourself, you find ways. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to the the looking back and regret, uh, the feeling of regret. And but then ultimately coming to the decision that, well, I'm glad I didn't like there are certain jobs that I left willingly. It was my choice. And yeah. I look I look back and I'm like, man, that would have been I would be CEO of that company right now if I stood. If I, <laughs> yeah, right. And then uh, yeah. but but, you know, I wouldn't have the life I have now. So I think I'm glad I didn't do it, even though I, I kind of look back and think, oh, I should have stayed there. Uh Ultimately, I'm glad that I walked away. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I feel that very much that about academia because, you know, when I first started there, I was going to be a professor. That's all I cared about, really. Mm. I was very, I'm quite obsessive, unfortunately. Uh, so I set my sights on things and then I, you know, I go out, go out of it to try and achieve whatever it is. And that's what I was going to do. And um, so I walked away from it, really, before I achieved that. That is what I was going to ask you about next is that you weren't always uh, an artist professionally, right? You were in education. Can I guess, can you talk a little bit about that? Where was it? Uh, what did you teach? And then how did you make a, yeah. how did you make a transition from that to art? Can I compress this into a, a reasonably short, long story? I mean, I, I left <laughs> school without any qualifications pretty much and had to go back. I, I worked in a builder's yard actually when I left school for, just over a year, I think. And, but I went, you know, I got some qualifications that uh, study overnight. And then I, I kind of went to work in an office in the civil service, which was hell, um, <laughs> <laughs> really hell. And I, I started to learn to drive when I was about 20, I suppose. And my driving instructor was a, was a study in psychology at Plymouth University. And she said, what are you doing with your life? What's the matter with you? Go and do something. So I, I took on an access to higher education course while I was working um, and yeah, went back, to, went to university as a mature student um, and a lecturer there said, well, you know, he ought to be doing a PhD. So <laughs> fell into that as well. That wasn't a choice, you know, do that. And yeah, I, I, so I studied what in UK terms is social policy. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it would be called in the States or elsewhere, probably welfare studies or something. Yeah, well, uh, maybe social policy. 
yeah, okay. Um, uh, so yeah, I studied social policy and uh, then I taught it uh, mainly about equal opportunities, equal ops theory. That was my main interest. Um, and, uh, and and I taught and, and wrote about criminology as well. Oh, wow. Actually. Yeah. yeah. So uh, penal theory and sentencing theory and stuff. So how then did you go from that to where you are now? painting on uh, cardboard boxes. I, and <laughs> God, I think, I mean, this is, this is um, a, a story really of, for me about mental breakdown, actually, mm. because I, I, I think I went through during my time in academia, probably suffered two or three mental breakdowns. Yeah. Uh, the last one was, I was unable to come back from it. I just couldn't, I couldn't go back into that environment again. Hmm. So I, I left. I took voluntary severance from academia. I didn't know what I was going to do at all, actually. Started to draw again because I hadn't done that for many, many years. I'd left it, completely left it. And hmm. uh, yeah, so I I sort of found art again, really, in, in that space. Nice. You know, in a bit of despair and a bit of loss and a bit of... Uh, identity loss you know because academia is uh, an identity you know you, you you're a lecturer you're a writer you're a researcher you've got these things and they form an identity for you and then all of a sudden it's gone hmm. and um so i think actually it was trying to find a new voice yeah you know uh that's that's where it came from i think so i think hmm. that's yeah that's where that's where that's why i am where i am really you know this is a rebirth or recovery or you know something like that i guess well I'm, I'm glad you did i think you made the the right moves and uh you know Thanks. i mean I, well and i'm you know uh, uh it's got to be tough to go through the the mental challenges uh i mean i i can relate in some ways i, I walked away i was an attorney and i walked away and you know the same sense of identity was just gone and that right. feeling of like, what am I going to do now? But, and as tough as that was, uh, there's a sense of freedom with it. Like, you know, this is my life. This is, yeah, the, this is the only life I got. So, you know, I'm going for it. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad you did. And uh, I, I know that your fans uh, on Twitter and elsewhere uh, are glad you did as well. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning the, the, the copious amount of work that you produce. Uh, how much do you produce in a day? Do you, do you just work on one, one piece at a time or do you bounce around between pieces? No, I, I probably, again, it's about playing mental games with yourself, really. You know, mm. I, because I've, I've got, at the moment, for example, I've got about four or five commissions that I'm working on. And, and actually, <laughs> they, they all mean something differently. They all mean something different to you. I mean, I've got one at the moment, which is very emotional one, which, uh, which is uh, for a lady whose who's dad passed away. So it's a picture of him with his granddaughters, I think. And, um, you know, that's that takes a lot of energy, actually. And there are days where I, I can't touch it because I know I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to do it justice. So I've, I tend to work between probably three three or four paintings at a time and then sometimes in the evenings when I'm depending on whether I'm tired or not I that's when I do things like bookmarks or you know bags or 
cards or things, you know. So, so I sort of paint during the day mainly, um, and then do the other stuff in the evening. But yeah, probably four or five things on the go at once. Oh wow! And you're a, a uh, I think you've described yourself as a modern expressionist. Uh, so you're not when you paint from a, pic, a picture, you're not trying to duplicate that picture. Do um, the people who commission you to do artwork? Do they give you complete freedom to create it any any way or in your style, any way that you see fit? They have mostly. I mean, uh, and sometimes it varies according to the picture. So, you know, I think uh, I told this story before, but uh, one, one lady won a competition that I put up a while ago, and she wanted a daughter drawn, a portrait of a daughter, and I and I sort of sat about it, and it came out like a pop art piece, you know, very sort of flat bold colors, distinct lines, mm. didn't, didn't know why it come out that way. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh my God. And I, I sort of the trepidation of actually showing her, I was like, oh, you know, I held it off for a day or two. And then I showed her and she said, wow, my favorite artist is Andy Warhol. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's weird. And it's happened <laughs> a couple of times, but no one's ever sort of restricted me. And I, I, and I think, I mean, for me, again, that's about evolution, about style, you know, that, when I was when I was a kid and I was drawing and I've, I've put it up a few times, but I, you know, the last thing that I ever drew as an artist, aspiring artist when I was young was an owl that I was commissioned to do that I never finished. Mm. And it is hyper real in the sense that, it, you know, it it's drawn. And I used to draw. That's how I used to draw. I used to draw and paint like that because. Well, I think it was because I was so frightened of criticism. Mm. I was hiding behind detail. That if I could replicate something so that it looked exactly like the thing I was drawing, right. who could criticize that? You know? Right. Who right. Could... But but these days it's not about I mean I think it was Aristotle that said something like, Don't paint what's outside, paint the beauty within. Mm, nice. And I, I think that sounds so pretentious, doesn't it? I was about to swear then. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> sounds so pretentious, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get the essence of something rather than a simple replication of it hmm. or someone you know yeah I, I don't think it's pretentious i think it's it's beautiful and uh and if you do swear here it's fine i i uh we have liberty to, <laughs> got to, edit button. Yeah, we, yeah right well even I, I can leave it in and i just have to click a little uh button that says hey this has got Beat a swear button. yeah swear but a swear okay. word too so it's no worries um all right well let, let's discuss the anonymity thing uh, we we are recording right now only the audio version of this podcast per your request, which is fine. Why would you rather not be on video? Um, again, this is a mental health issue, and okay. you know one of the things that I've wanted to do a bit is to be vulnerable. Actually, I mean, sound the anonymity then makes that seem a bit weird, but you know <laughs> I've I've shared a lot of poetry and a lot of writing about some of the struggles that I've had. I mean, one one struggle that I've got is uh, with body image, mm -hmm. uh, the way that I look. Um, and, and yeah, I really struggle with that. I mean, we, you know, I don't have any mirrors around the house because I, I really, that is a real difficulty for me. Um, and it's taken me a long time actually to understand why that's the case. So I, I do have a bit of an understanding of it now. Yeah, I, uh, 
<laughs> well, I, I've I've had a uh, the advantage of of actually seeing you in a private conversation. Uh, my the listeners are going to be jealous that I have seen you, and uh, and uh, you you look pretty normal to me, Rad. I, I don't. You know, I mean, yeah, I know yeah. <laughs> you look like a, a cool guy to me, so I don't. You know, but I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not going to try to fix any of your <laughs> any issues you might have. Uh, um, in a, in in a private conversation that you and I have had, uh, but you've discussed publicly as well. You've you've talked about bipolarism, and because uh, you yeah. you wrote a piece on um, on Ringside Report, uh, a recent one that was called The Pit, and yeah, uh, and, and in that column, you 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 eloquently describe it this way. I have a, a quote here: um, "There is no outlet, no light at all." Everything is bleak beyond imagining. Historically, sufferers have described it as a black dog or a raven's wing, countless other, th other things. For me, it is a chasm, and I feel myself drawn inexorably towards it. So can you talk a little bit about that chasm for people who either wrestle with it themselves or maybe people who don't fully understand it? Yeah, um, is it possible... Is it okay to talk about where it comes from? Sure. Because I think, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I mean, I, I grew up in a quite a poor household, uh, and it was defined by ill health. So my dad had been in the navy, and he lost a lung while he was serving. And actually, I shouldn't really be here because he was given ten years to live and then lived thirty. So. Uh, you know, he was always ill. I mean, you know, I remember, I mean, oh God, this is such a complex story, Mark. Have I got time to go through this? You, you, got, any... as much, you got as much time as you want. Okay. Go ahead. So he was a, he was a naval man and uh, he, he loved the Navy and, and being invalided out nearly destroyed him and he became an alcoholic and quite a chronic one. Uh, I was on tranquilizers until I was three when he stopped drinking because... Wow. He was so loud. It used to terrify me, apparently. Mm. Um, my sister developed rheumatoid arthritis at 13. They thought it was growing pains, but it was not. And she was very poorly, again, all through my life. So she was 20 by the time I was born. Uh, it's a bit of an accident as well, which <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you know, oh, I have to thought, here we go. Um, and, you know, it was a difficult upbringing. I, I, I was loved, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there was poverty and there was ill health but there was love but when i was three uh i was uh i was bitten by the family dog who was a an raf german shepherd that we'd that we'd got for my sister and, and that was okay. really defined my household really was trying to make my sister happy because mm. she had this chronic illness and it nearly killed me the dog nearly killed me and would have killed me if we hadn't had a painter and decorator in the house who pulled me out of it and I then lived from the age of three to 10 locked away in rooms while the dog was given the, the run of the house. Wow. You're kidding. So I, I spent a lot of my time in rooms on my own waiting for one of a family member to help you know, take me to another room. Uh, and I, I blotted out. I'd forgotten all about it. It came out in a therapy session that I had. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it was that important, but I, I've always been fascinated by things like sieges and stuff. Hmm. And, I, and I think, I mean, I think for me, that's been the defining thing of my life. Those seven years. Yeah. Because 
I, I must have been afraid all the time, you know. And I remember my mum and sister sitting at the bottom of the stairs trying to get me to make friends with the dog again, you know. And the dog nearly biting me again. And I think that's so. I think that's where, yeah, because I think bipolar has a chemical dimension to it, clearly. Sure. And I, I, you know, and I'm bipolar too, so I tend towards the chasm. Right, the chasm is the despair, uh, and uh, and and that sort of set me up, I think, for for a life of doubt and fear, and you know, uh, and and that that fear and that sort of that invisibility. I think you know that that it's the self doubt that comes with all that. Mm-hmm. You know, the chasm that's where it sits. I think in that that space where you begin to doubt yourself you begin to give in to the fear yeah and um yeah i think and it's always there it's always there even when you're not near it you know you're aware of it kind of thing well that relates to the question i wanted to to ask next is how often does it happen i mean so you're you're describing that it's it's ever present but uh i i would assume you're you know, you're in closer proximity to that chasm at sometimes versus others. You know, how yeah. often does close proximity to the chasm happen and how do you pull your way through it? I, I'm kind of coming to terms with, cause I was taking medication for a while, mm-hmm. which did, it did even things out for me, but it killed all creativity. I was like a zombie. I couldn't, couldn't function really to be honest yeah. and I had to make a decision between the highs and the lows because for me it's it, it can be momentary so I can be feeling you know on top of the world one moment and then you know crashing into the pit the next and then mm. I can be out of it as quickly so it's always I suppose it's always fairly close but the the times when you you fall into the chasm the those have been years apart, I suppose. You know, I've, oh. I've probably had three or four really bad episodes. I mean, my dad died when I was 16 hmm. and he died in my arms on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. And, well, yeah, not in my arms, but... You were there. Close to. And, right. uh, you know, that, per- that was the first period there where, to be honest, I just, I didn't think I was going to come out of that. You know, um, so that was the first. There's been two or three, and sometimes they happen around important points in your life. You know, like uh, like I find success difficult. Actually, I find success harder to bear sometimes than than failure. Hmm. So I go, and 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 I think it's you know it's been described, hasn't it, by lots of celebrities, people like Jim Carrey, and you know the guy that made Evan Almighty. They talk about. achieving things and then oh what now you know mm. that's happened to me a fair bit right i've yeah. done it well what now you know yeah. when i got my phd it was like that shit what now what do i <laughs> right. do now well do you uh do you immerse yourself in your art as a means of of cathartic relief or is your art separate i mean some people when they feel depressed or uh they can't create at all D- does it does the chasm ever hinder you from your art no not really i think it is 
it has become again i mean it was when i was younger and it has become again a bit of a life raft nice okay. so you know like i i put a a drawing that i threw together yesterday about insomnia you know that <laughs> it sometimes it helps just to visually represent something mm. so yeah no i i don't I some no, I don't have I don't have that. I mean, look, like, I I didn't have writer's block very often when I was an academic. I I, I was pretty much always able to write even when I was really struggling. Mm. Um, so no, I think I think it's a bit of a, I think it's a life raft rather than a wall. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's how I would describe it. I yeah, I don't really. That okay. helps. It helps. It really yeah, helps. so it is cathartic in a sense. Um, yeah. uh, what about the highs of bipolarism? I, can you discuss that? I mean, like how? Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, they don't happen to me that often because, well, like I say, it's momentary. So I'll have like a high, you know, like ten minutes. Wow, you know, the world's fantastic. I'm I'm in sync with everything, you know. And then oh shit, this is really bad. And now I'm sinking. <laughs> so it's a bit like that, but. When I've had periods, I've had periods. I a colleague contacted me once when I was because uh, I you know I left the original university that I worked at that I really thought I'd stay at forever and came to Cardiff University mm -hmm. and uh, and, and worked there for a number of years. But a colleague that I'd worked with previously that I really we worked together a lot. He contacted me and said, "Look, I've got this idea for a book." <laughs> okay, yeah. I wrote it in two and a half months. Wow. And it's not, well, you know, my bits of it, you know, so, hmm. yeah. I, I, and I it just not being able to stop, not being able to split properly, you know, ideas constantly running through your head. It's like, it's, and I actually don't understand the significance of it on other people. So, like, I'd have colleagues at work be going like, oh, my God. You're just wearing me out. Can you stop? <laughs> Can you just stop? Yeah. I was like, what? What's the matter? You know, this is great. Look, we're... and then the crash follows. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I probably had two or three. I mean, when I was very young, it, athletics and, and sport took it out of me. So yeah. I'd throw myself into training or, you know, I'd exhaust myself. Um, but yeah. it's, you feel invulnerable. That's the thing. Invincible. There's nothing you can't do. You know, you feel like you can scale mountains you know you could do anything and it huh? it lasts for me that lasted about two and a half months that one and it wow. was yeah. very productive but ultimately shattering um, you know it's unsustainable yeah that wow that's that's fascinating that's uh i you know i i think for those of us who who uh don't have that particular condition but would like to understand it better you know i i can i can imagine but i can only imagine you know so i i can't really appreciate and understand what that must feel like but i i do appreciate you uh you you explaining it um it uh i think it it helps i think it helps people who who maybe struggle with it themselves and it helps people who who don't uh i have a very good friend who also uh suffers from bipolarism she um she has actually a pretty severe case i guess you would say uh you know she she is on medication and uh i mean pretty much can't be off of it but uh right. 
Yeah. So, you know, it, it's helpful that you you share stuff like that. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, well, uh, Rad, at the end of uh, every episode, I do a segment called Five Minute Zen. And mm-hmm. I give the, the listener something to think about uh, for five minutes to help them achieve a greater sense of mindfulness or live in the present moment uh, or, uh, you know, simply practice gratitude. Uh, you, you're in luck because I, I usually spring a question on somebody, <laughs> on, my, on the person I'm interviewing. But you've actually already written a terrific five-minute Zen piece uh, that I read earlier today on Ringside Report called Protection. And in it, uh, I think you give two pieces of excellent advice for anyone listening to this. Uh, in that piece, you describe these, uh, I, I'll call them remedies for negativity. Uh, you, you, you give one on a macro level and one on a micro level. Can you briefly summarize what those two things were? I'm trying to think back. <laughs> <laughs> well, one had to do with like cutting off the memory is kicking in now. Yeah, one had to do with um, cutting off the news, and the other was like cutting off negative friends. Yeah, uh, yeah, the news. I think actually, funnily enough, a, a couple of friends of mine who have mental health challenges recently have cut themselves off from social media entirely, mm. and they and they have stopped watching the news because. You know, it's easy to get locked into, isn't it? The the despair, the you know, you see what's going on in the world, and you think, oh my god, look at this. And you're powerless. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, most of us are powerless. I mean, even the people that are involved in the big events in the world, they have limited capacity to actually influence things. You know, mm. they're not all powerful, are they? Right. Um, but most of us who don't have access to that macro level of power, I think sometimes you've you've just got to accept that there are bad things in the world, and you've got to close yourself off from them Mm. to protect yourself because otherwise it would be you'd be living in a state of desperation a lot of time Mm. so at the macro level i think you there's got to be a you've got to shield yourself at times sometimes you can engage with it and it you know it it inspires you and enrages you and you you know it makes you want to be active other times when you're feeling more vulnerable and you're feeling you know for me i think you've got to shut that down Mm. and at the micro level yeah, uh, at the micro level, there you you just encounter the people that aren't good for you, you know. And maybe uh, you know it's vice versa as well. I mean, let's be honest, you know th- these things always run both ways. Um, but there are people that you 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 know, say if you go for coffee with someone that you go to regularly uh, to a coffee meeting with, and you know you come away feeling, I don't know, <laughs> hopeless, you know. <laughs> bit lost i mean it happens a lot in academia because academia is a place for for neurotic people mm. so you know when i funnily enough when i left i had i had coffee with a, a few colleagues and i hadn't i was on the brink of leaving i was on the brink of leaving academia at that point uh you know i was already in discussions about voluntary severance and i sat with these guys who are great guys don't get me wrong really great guys that i really like but I could feel the ways of anxiety from them mm. because I was out of tune with it. You know, I, I was mentally leaving. And so uh, it was like picking up on something that I'd been part of, but no longer was. And that you make decisions then about what you can bear, basically. 
mm. you know. And so I've had to make decisions about whether I can take on other people's stuff. And yeah, and I think sometimes you can't. You know, you've got to you've got to draw a line under some things. Yeah, absolutely. Because they'll drag you down. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what one thing I try to do with this whole Zen uh, uh, agenda is that uh, I try yeah. to make it. I try to make it practical. You know, realistic. And yeah. you know, there. You know, you're right. That you can't take on the world, and you cannot take on. You know, there are some people who are just. You know, and I, I, I feel uh, my heart goes out to them, but there are some people who just are consumed with negativity and mm. you there's nothing you can do about it and it it will bring you down <laughs> i mean i've had to sever ties di you know diplomatically i don't i'm not rude about it but yeah, yeah. i just had to like separate myself from certain people who they're just so consumed by uh being negative or seeing the dark side and i you know i try to be an optimist and uh that I, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And so I think it's just a practical, yeah. I think it's practical advice. And I, I think something you said earlier too is actually uh, pretty zen, even without uh, <laughs> you're trying to be, uh, when you said that, you know, uh, when you were talking about the macro level and just cutting off the news, you you use the phrase, sometimes you, you just got to accept it, you know, that, look, okay, the world, there is this kind of, uh, dark or depressing stuff going on. It just is. Yeah. And I can't control it. But what I can do is I can control how much I'm paying attention to it. You know, I can't change yeah, the whole absolutely. world, but I can turn the TV off or I can, you know, turn off, uh, you know, social media or whatever. Um, yeah. So agreed. That's uh, that's good advice. Well, uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, what, what are you, what are you working on? I mean, I know you're painting. Uh, when, when we're done talking, you're probably going back to painting. What uh, can you give us a a, a glimpse? Uh, not a literal glimpse, but just uh, describe to us what are you painting on? What are you painting today? Okay, so I'm going to be working on the painting uh, that I mentioned. You know, the family painting where the mm -hmm. the, the lady's uh, father passed, passed away. So passed I'm going to away. work on that one a bit. I've okay. got. A portrait to do for somebody uh which i've started which is going to be a bit of a challenge there's another emotional aspect to that mm -hmm. i've got a couple of other similar pieces that i need to start and uh i may well i've got poetry books that i've sort of half finished a couple that i have finished that i want to that i want to publish and I, I was going to actually try to get one published in, as a hard copy you know try and go to a publisher with it rather than just publish on on amazon you know self-publish mm. so i've got a couple of illustrations that i need to finish uh, for one of those so i think that's probably going to be my day today <laughs> all right I, I i uh i would actually like to send you so uh you know we'll talk after the recording here and uh you know if you'd be willing i'll uh i'll mail you you know i make my wife and I, our primary source of income is we make washi, which is traditional Japanese paper. And it's, uh, oh, wow. you know, yeah, and it's um, perfect for, you know, you could paint oil paintings on it because this is not like cheap machine-made paper. This is handmade paper. So the fibers are very strong and it's almost like a canvas and, um, but it's paper. And I mean, but we, we do it, the whole thing. We grow the tree, we grow, we grow Kozo and Mitsumata trees and we harvest them and, 
we steam them and pull the bark off and we, you know, we, we do it all. That's what we do all year round. And, uh, so, you know, it would be an honor, uh, to me to just send you some blank. I mean, it, because of shipping costs and the cost of paper, I'll just send you like, they'll just be like postcard size, you know, they're not huge, but, uh, but, um, and I don't want anything for me, but you could paint on them and you can, uh, put them for sale on Etsy, or you can give them to somebody as a gift. But, you know, I'd be honored just to be a part of your art in terms of like, uh, giving you a kind of blank canvas to, to work on. If you, wow, if you were cool would, with that would be incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk after the recording and I'll, uh, we'll, I'll send you, you know, some, um, okay. some blank, wow, uh, washi. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, he's uh he's radical rhymes check out his artwork on radicalrhymes.com check out his writing on ringsidereport.com and he's got a blog i'll link all of that stuff in the description go buy something at his uh, etsy shop or commission him for a piece um you better get in line he's busy um well rad it's been rad <laughs> i'll uh i'll be talking to you on twitter and elsewhere uh keep in touch my friend i, I really appreciate well, your time i will absolutely thanks also, i want to say mark but you'll just always be zen to me so <laughs> that's fine that's, <laughs> that's actually cool when you when you we've messaged and you're like hey zen how are you doing and i'm like oh that's cool he's just calling me zen that <laughs> works for me yeah i think that, that's gonna be it now that's <laughs> it yeah that will never change perfect well that works for me rad all right well till next time thanks man take care